from the snowed-in studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it's time for another ethical episode of Chemical-Free Horticultural Hijinks You Bet Your Garden. Is it acceptable to use fallen leaves for garden mulch and compost making? Or should nature's gifts be left where they lie? Or is it where they lay? Or, well, where they fall down? Anyway. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and on today's You Bet Your Garden, we'll take a close look at the ethics of fall leaves. Otherwise, it's a fabulous phone call show, cats and kittens. Yes, we will take that heaping helping of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and beastly bontiest bonifications. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, true believers, because it's all coming up faster than you having your leaves and composting them too, right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Lehigh Valley Health Network. In life, we have many kinds of partners. School bus partners, business partners, even gardening partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life, your health? Lehigh Valley Health Network, your health deserves a partner. Welcome to another brand new episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Now, you're watching this after the first of the year, but we're taping it very close to Christmas, and we're taking off a little time in between Christmas and New Year's. So, But Christmas is still on its way as we do this, so our book club will expand this episode. We're going to give away a bunch of books beginning with The City Homesteader, written by my good friend Scott Meyer, who was one of my editors at Organic Gardening Magazine and now works for PHS, the people who put on the flower show. Um, the postcard that goes with this book is from Lisa Billow in Norfolk, Virginia. And when this one came in, I asked uh, Tavia, did we have an, any interesting postcards? And she said, yeah, we got a weird rodent. Well, actually, that's a, a James Audubon drawing of what he thinks a fox looks like. So um, I know you're going to that, you know, big menagerie in the sky, Jim, but, you know, stick to the birds in the future. Anyway, she gets the city homesteader book. All right, time for another giveaway. Yeah, we're giving them away. You send a postcard in, you got a good chance of actually getting a book because my library is still much too big. All right, this one uh, goes to, I better pronounce this correctly, Nancy Fuchs, F-U-C-H-S, in Burgess, Virginia, and it's a kitty cat. It's on the front. It's a very cute little kitty cat. And I don't know why I decided that, but I thought the book Taming Wildflowers would go well with a kitty cat postcard. And as I said, we is overflowing with the holiday spirit. So check out, check out this postcard. It took me a minute to figure out what was happening here. Um, looks a little bit like SpongeBob uh, gone mad. It was sent in 
by Karen Yancey in Millsboro, Delaware. And go in tight on this, guys. This is a, a, a hugely funny postcard because it looks like something you'd have in an aquarium at home. But if you look carefully, it's, it's all vegetables. It's all squash and broccoli and banana peels making this, uh, uh, and there's a, a big sprig of rosemary coming up. Um, it is hilarious. I'm not sure what the little fish is made of. I'll have to look at it more carefully. The turtle is definitely a squash. So I, I thought that was just so ingenious. So for her ingenuity in buying the correct postcard, we're sending her Living with Herbs by Joanne Gardner. I have no idea if that's her real name or not, but it is what it is. So everybody wants to learn more about herbs, and it's a great book, but I got no room in my library, so we're giving it away. So again, clever postcards are getting our attention. So, you know, choose wisely, because we're gonna keep giving books away until I can actually have walking lanes in my office. All right, that's a bunch of books gotten rid of and a bunch of people who I hope are happy. We're certainly happy to have been entertained by your postcards. Keep those cards coming. Just send a postcard with your name and address to You Bet Your Garden, care of Lehigh Valley Public Media. That's our new name. We seem to have a new name every week or two. It's kind of like the, uh, the bank's you know, they don't even put up real signs anymore because they're going to be acquired soon. But anyway, You Bet Your Garden, care of Lehigh Valley Public Media, Bethlehem, PA, 18015. Send it today, before midnight tonight, so you don't forget. And now, on with your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Judy, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi there. Hello, Judy. How are you? I'm okay. Very good. Where is Judy okay? Um, a little north of Nashville, Tennessee. Okay, very good. What, do you, you live in a little town? Uh, yes, it's Lafayette, Tennessee. Lafayette, okay. Lafayette. The northerners would say Lafayette. Oh, okay, which is what we would say. Uh, we are just in the shadow of Lafayette College here. Yes. So, but I won't argue. Let's just say... Judy, near Nashville. What can we do you for? <laughs> well, last um, couple of years, I have lived in an area where I had pawpaw trees. Oh, excellent. And I harvested the pawpaws, and I made pawpaw jelly and all kinds of stuff with it. Um, and we ate them until we just couldn't stand it. <laughs> well, I moved away, and I took with me a large... Tupperware of dried seeds that I had harvested, laid on paper towels until right. they were yeah. dried uh, and stored. And they didn't germinate. No. Right. I knew that. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I have even gone as far as to call the Arboretum Society here in Tennessee to find out what I'm doing wrong. Nah, they probably don't care much about pawpaws. Now, for those, <laughs> for those who don't know, pawpaws are one of the two Native American fruits 
Um, they are small trees, they are understory trees, but they produced fairly large fruits that taste of custard. And there are many pawpaw aficionados around the country. And we had a guy on the show a couple years ago, I wish I could remember his name, uh, but he wrote a book about pawpaws that was very, very entertaining. And I've learned a lot from him over the years. Well, the University of Kentucky has done a study on pawpaws, and they have reams of information. Mm-hmm. They were studying them with the angle to feed the world because the pawpaw is some kind of complete fruit. It is also one of the fruits that travels most poorly. Pawpaws are achieve ripeness and then go from ripeness to like uselessness within a very short period of time. Oh, yes. So, okay, so let's see. Uh, you said you moved uh, to Tennessee? Yes. Where, where were your old trees? I moved north of, in Tennessee. My old trees were in Nashville, and I moved oh. up here up north. So it's not far? The, no. Okay. No, it's the same zone. Okay. So here's what you want to do. As soon as you told me you dried the seeds, I realized that you had messed up. Because to propagate a pawpaw from seed, the seeds have to be dead ripe and dead fresh and still moist to the touch. So, okay. so come next year, uh, do you think there's a way you can go back to the trees and harvest some really ripe fruit? You know, even Possibly, ones that yeah. have fallen on the ground. Because that's what they do when they get ripe, right? Yes. So can you go back? Uh, maybe. Trespassing? Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, or or just knock on the door and, you know, explain you used to live here and you want to take some pawpaws home. So when you get them home, um, scoop out the seeds, rinse them off, keep them wet. And this is the opposite of almost any other propagation by seed. And put them in Ziplocs that are filled with moist perlite. Do you know what perlite is? Mm-hmm. Okay, so perlite is the mine volcanic mineral that pops when they heat it up and it holds water inside its own structure. So, uh, but it also allows water to throw, flow freely in a raised bed. So it's one of those amazing things that drains well, but also holds water. So you take these pawpaw seeds, and while they're still wet, you put them in Ziplocs with, um, with moist perlite. I wouldn't zip the Ziploc fully closed, but um, I would then put them in the refrigerator in an area that stays around 40 degrees and I think the magic number is 100 days. And then you okay. take them out. And now here's the thing. Pawpaws as plants do not transplant well. They have what's called a long taproot. So the best thing you can do is plant, uh, put them in pots and let the sprouts come up in the pots. But then it can be difficult to transplant them. So what I'm going to suggest is you, is you do that. You, you know, plant the seeds in pots and put them outside right away. And, but I would use peat pots or mm-hmm. some other pot that's guaranteed uh, to disintegrate. 
in the ground. That way you can plant them pot and all and you don't have to worry about the pot strangling the root or trying to do any transplanting. If you're, bra okay. if you're brave enough and you have enough seeds, there would be nothing wrong with putting some of these seeds that have gone through this cold treatment directly in the ground where you want them to grow. But a lot of times people like to grow them out in pots for the summer and then plant the, the trees in the fall. Um, I, uh, you should also avoid full sun. Uh, pawpaws are understory plants. They can't take full direct sun. Uh, they will bloom and fruit nicely in, you know, light shade. And when the flowers appear, they're pollinated by flies, and the flowers smell like carrion. So yes, they do. <laughs> most, you know, some farmers claim that they will, they will hang uh, dead chickens in their trees to attract the flies, to pollinate them. Um, the Martha Stewart way would be to take a little artist paintbrush and go from flower to flower and do hand pollinating, especially between uh, two different trees. Because if, if, the tr if the trees that you took the original seeds from were doing well in producing fruit, it meant that they were two different varieties. So when you go back, ideally you would collect fruit from different trees. Well, I did not realize that you had to have two trees. Yes, yes, you need two different varieties. And, and a, a lot of times... I just had one for a while. I lived there 14 years. And yeah? I just had one tree for a while. And it bloomed and fruited. Yes. Did you hand pollinate it? No. Okay. I found out that the guy across the road had a volunteer one. There you go. And it... Um, but we didn't know. I didn't know it was there. He didn't know it was there. Right. It was in the middle of his bamboo forest. Oh, sure. Okay. Well, that's great, though. That was your pollinator plant. So um, I don't know if you can get into the forest or whatever, but at least to get started, that's what you do. You collect dead ripe fruit, you keep the seeds moist, you chill them for a little over three months, then you pot them up and then you plant them. Okay. So, so this, this bucket of dried seed that I have is completely useless? Completely useless unless you got chickens. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's what gardening is all about, Judy. Its success is built on stacks and stacks of failure, but especially epic failures. That's, that's, that was a, that's the road to heaven for gardeners. Well, that was a doozy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, certainly, I had them all over the house on paper. I'll bet you they did. Everywhere. Yeah. Uh huh. Well, it's a unique decorating style. I'm sure your neighbors and friends appreciate it. Oh, they didn't like the trees either. Oh, yeah. Well, they're, they're not ornamental, let's put it that way. But if you love the fruit, yeah, it's, it's fabulous. Now, it was in an upscale neighborhood. And <laughs> the trees are bent over. They, yeah. were, they were underneath um, of a big cedar tree. Mm -hmm. And they, the neighbors kept going, you know, when are you going to cut that ugly bush down? And they like, tell them never. <laughs> it's a valuable Native American fruit. Yeah, look at the uh, research that the University of Kentucky has done on pawpaws. It is incredible. There are several universities around the country, especially in that island on the map where pawpaws grow well, that are 
interested in the trees. And um, even experts sometimes have trouble propagating them, but um, I'm pretty, um, pretty certain of the information I just gave you. I'm fabulous. I am very excited. Thank you so much. All right. Good luck, Judy. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Two little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs, little bugs. Little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug. One little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug. One little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug, little bug. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will appear on Saturday and Sunday, January 25th and 26th at the Home and Garden Show at the Mohegan Sun Arena in Wilkesboro, PA. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet, because we'll be right back with more of your fabulous phone calls and maybe a quick peek at the upcoming Philadelphia Flower Show. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to a brand new edition of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute TV and Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Rodale Institute. Since 1947, the Rodale Institute has been growing the organic movement through research, farmer training, and consumer education. Learn more about local events, workshops, and tours at rodaleinstitute.org. The Rodale Institute, because the future is organic. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, should we really be using all the leaves in our environment for our own purposes, like mulch and making compost, or should we let whole leaves lie where they lay, or lay where they lie? We'll talk about it when we get to the question of the week. And we'll also get back to your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. But before that, we made a phone call. I am already sick of winter. I'm tired of ice storms. I can't find my car scraper. I need spring. And so to bring a little premature spring, 
into our lives, we have invited Matt Rader, president of the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society, to come on with us today and tease us with what's coming up at this year's Philadelphia Flower Show. Matt, I know it's a busy time of year for you. Thank you for taking the time to be on You Bet Your Garden today. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Mike. Well, thanks for being had. Now, one of the things that got my interest is in uh, a little later in January, you're hosting your annual press event um, to talk about the opening of this year's flower show. And at first I misread the uh, press release and I thought that the King and Queen of Monaco were coming in. Um, but it is the ambassador to Monaco who's going to be um, up there talking about the flower show, right? Yes, we've been working closely with the Monaco government uh, and the Prince Albert Foundation in preparation for this year's flower show. Uh, it is Riviera holiday. Monaco is on the Riviera, and Monaco has also been a real champion of uh, sustainability and uh, research related to how to tackle sustainability and climate change issues. But if I'm correct, and my memory has been failing me since I was around five years old, I don't remember Monaco being represented in the show previously. I don't know whether it's ever been represented, but we've never featured the Riviera really as the, the central place to talk about in the show. So this is uh, an exciting year. We think the Mediterranean has uh, many uh, plants and garden design features that will be of interest to our visitors, and we also think it's a great place to talk about uh, gardening as part of caring for the environment and responding to environmental change. Not only that, I mean, we've had some great flower shows, the one that focused on the waters of the world and the national parks and the movies, but let's face it, if this winter continues the way it started, we're going to need to go to the Riviera real soon. <laughs> or, or I'm with you. A lot of, lot of color, beautiful plants, beautiful forms, and, and just a lot of beauty, natural and, uh, and man-made. Just a beautiful place. You're going to have to be dragging people out at the end of the evening here, Matt. You know, there's a, no, I don't want to go back out there. That's our aspiration. We've added uh, a number of new gardens this year and, and new designers, both from uh, France and from the U.S., and you'll see a lot of uh, not only new gardens, but also new educational features, some pop-up uh, education, both in the horticulture area and the design gallery, uh, and a whole new hub focused on how home gardeners can be part of gardening for the greater good, which is really using gardening both to inspire but also to care for the environment and the world around us. So lots of new things at the show this year, so hopefully uh, no one will want to leave. I think it'll <laughs> be an all-engaging experience. I'm, I'm so looking forward to this one. Um, the Philadelphia Flower Show opens on February 29th because it's leap year, right? Indeed, and, and for members, the preview starts on, on February 28th, so uh, join now. And, yeah, well, I, as I always tell people, uh, membership in PHS, the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society, um, includes tickets to the flower show. So, it, Yes, it, it's a great cause. You know, we work around the greater Philadelphia region and more than 250 neighborhoods. 
Uh, and so you're supporting that. You're also getting tickets to the fabulous Philadelphia Flower Show and, and classes and programs and Grow Magazine all year long. So it's a, it's a good investment for uh, the gardener who, who cares also about the broader community. Yeah, great, a, great cause. a relatively new publication, uh, Grow is now the magazine of PHS, and interestingly enough, uh, two of the people who work on it, Scott Meyer and Rob Cardillo, were on my staff back at Organic Gardening back in the day, and they're doing a great job with the magazine. Thank you. We appreciate it. They do a great job. And again, we, we have to emphasize that even though it is a show that everybody looks forward to, and I'm glad you mentioned that there are going to be displays about gardening in Pennsylvania because a lot of people always want to come back with something they can do at their own home. Uh, I'm going to come back from the show uh, looking for cheap tickets to the Riviera, frankly. <laughs> That's a good thing to do. Yes, the, the flower show, as you know, should be uh, certainly inspiring, bring that great breath of spring and inspiration, uh, but also really help people think about what they're going to do in their garden this year uh, and with houseplants and every other thing that you can grow. So lots of inspiring beauty, lots of getting away from winter and just being inside amidst beauty, but also some real uh, opportunities to, to learn more plants, learn uh, different design ideas, different cultivation techniques and, and different ways that you can use gardening for positive change in the community of the world. And a chance to kind of pretend you're in Monaco in the, in the beginning of March. Come on. Totally, totally. Be beautiful setting. Uh, plants that are home to, you know, home in the Riviera Monaco that are not familiar here. Lots of wonderful colors uh, and just a chance to immerse yourself uh, in all the scents and sounds and, and beauty of, of that environment. And again, um, proceeds from the flower show uh, support a lot of horticultural programs in not only the greater Philadelphia area, but expanding further and further into uh, Pennsylvania, uh, more so than ever. And I know one that is dear to your heart, and I believe that you'd like to talk about today, um, is the Tree Initiative. Yeah. So trees are, are near and dear to, to PHS's heart. We, we very much believe, first of all, that a gardener is anybody who cultivates any plant anywhere for any reason. And trees are a great thing for gardeners to grow. Uh, for quite a while, PHS has had a role in trying to increase the number of trees across uh, our region and beyond. And we've planted about 14,000 trees through our tree tender program in the last decade uh, and thousands more through our watershed tree planting work. So right now, we've gotten some kind of tough news here in Philadelphia, which is that the tree canopy, which is the area shaded by trees, declined about 6% from 2008 to 2018. And so PHS, together with Philadelphia Parks and Recreation, uh, the state uh, and other partners here are working hard to build a plan to really think about how to reverse that decline and increase the number of trees here on the ground in Philadelphia. Because as I'm sure you know, Mike, trees do so much good um, environmentally. They also, you know, they clean our air and clean our water, but they also create safe and clean environments for everyone to live. 
uh, and inspiring places to, to spend your time. So there's, there's real study show, there are studies that show that just an increase in trees in a neighborhood can really uh, improve the health and well-being and safety of everybody there. So for, for all those reasons, we're really committed uh, to trying to increase the number of trees uh, in Philadelphia and in neighborhoods certainly across this region and, and far beyond in Pennsylvania and elsewhere. Now, uh, do you know, and uh, you, know, you don't have to know the answer to this question, uh, but is this happening nationwide? Um, because to the naked eye, it would seem that all these tree plantings that are going on are, would be increasing the canopy. But is this a situation um, that's also occurring, say, in New York and D.C. and Nashville? Dif different cities are in different states of both preserving the trees they've already got and planting new ones to preserve them. Uh, and there's been really strong efforts in Washington, D.C. and in New York to preserve and increase tree canopy. And really around the world, there's been a lot of interest both in tree preservation and planting as people have understood um, all of the positive impacts of planting trees, both environmental and, and social. So uh, Philadelphia has had a great legacy of planting trees. PHS has more than 5,000 volunteer tree tenders who are organized in neighborhood units who really lead the way in getting permission from neighbors to plant trees uh, and then actually planting the trees and, and causing them to be maintained and watered. We support those volunteers uh, by procuring trees and cutting sidewalk pits and helping uh, train them with the education and knowledge needed to care for the trees. So, so there's a lot of work that's happened um, as well as the great work we do in helping watershed groups plant trees around streams and waterways, and also the work that the city's Department of Parks and Recreation does to plant uh, and care for street trees and park trees around the city and others like Morris Arboretum, uh, the state DCNR, et cetera, that are involved in tree planting. So there's, there's a lot of work happening, but obviously uh, over those 10 years there was a decline, and so I think all of the people who care about this are really uh, committed to understanding why and, more importantly, understanding how we can increase the resources and the effectiveness of all of these efforts so that that tree canopy increases at least to, to 30 percent, which is what's considered good, if mm -hmm. not far beyond. Yeah, before we were the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, we were called Penn's Sylvan Woods, uh, right? It's true. I mean, we've got forests right in our name, so we should uh, we should do it. Yeah. I'm a real fan of the Tree Tenders program. Um, it's great citizen science at work. And one thing we all have to remember is we're talking canopy. We're talking coverage. So a lot of the trees that are going in now, thanks to groups like PHS and Tree Tenders, they're little babies. Um, but now, again, uh, the geometry is working in our favor because their um, contribution to the canopy is going to grow every year as they grow more every year. So it's, it's these little trees now that are going to be the replacements of the canopy uh, 10 years from now. You're absolutely right. And I think one of the things that was most interesting in the study that University of Vermont did of the change in the tree canopy is that 
there where trees were lost, they were big clumps, so sites that got developed or lots that got redeveloped and you lost a clump of canopy. And where trees were planted, they were planted uh, along streets or yards, et cetera, in, in smaller clumps. And so over time, as you say, those trees will grow and really begin to create more canopy. And I think there's also a lot of opportunities for us to look at big areas of space, whether it's in parks or areas around office developments or shopping centers or along streets where we can start to plant large numbers of trees so that that geometry just ever benefits us more and more. And tell, and them, not, thing, tell them not to pile mulch up around the trunk. Exactly. Take good care. And so, you know, anybody who wants to learn uh, good tree planting and care should certainly uh, take the Tree Tenders course. It's a great way to get the basics. And, and, you know, for your listeners, I just always remind that every gardener can plant a tree as well yeah. in their yard or garden. And if you think about, you know, millions and millions of gardeners doing that across the country, you could really have a major impact if everyone took initiative to plant to plant trees. Sequesters carbon, cleans the air, gives you shade in the summertime. You know, trees are remarkable creatures. And one thing I want to point out again, um, I do urge anybody who's interested in the topic to visit the PHS website. Um, um, and it's phsonline.org. PHSonline.org, and you can search for Flower Show or Tree Tenders, whichever thing you're looking for, and find a lot more resources there. And also look at our uh, PHS McLean Library that has some great resources on trees as well. Exactly, and all of this uh, is made possible by people visiting the Flower Show. So um, beginning on leap year day and continuing into the first week of March, you'll get a chance to go to the Riviera, and you'll be supporting programs like tree tenders, community gardens, a greening of entrances and exits to the city, more, more programs than um, I can count. So keep up the good work, Matt. I can't wait to get to the flower show this year. It's, it's either that or double my meds, man. Um, you know, this winter's killing me. <laughs> We, we can't wait to have you, and, and as you say, the flower show is the easiest way to get involved in, in using gardening for the greater good for, for all of us. So we look forward to celebrating with you there and inspiring both you out of the doldrums of winter and into a great gardening season next year. Matt Rader, president of the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society, the group that presents the Philadelphia Flower Show every March. Thanks for being with us today on You Bet Your Garden. All right. Thank you, Mike. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will brave the month of January to appear in tropical Wilkes-Barre, PA on Saturday and Sunday, January 25th and 26th at the Home and Garden Show at the Mohegan Sun Arena. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet because we'll be right back to discuss the ethics of harvesting fall leaves and take more of your fallen phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to a brand new episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute TV and Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA.
Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll get to the question of the week. Is it ethical to take all those fall leaves out of your landscape and use them for compost and garden mulch making? We'll discuss what to take and what to leaf. Get it? Huh? <clears throat> yeah. Um, right after a couple more of your leafy phone calls at 833-727-9588. Frank, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you very much for taking the call. Well, thank you for making it, Frank. How are you, man? I'm very good. And where is Frank very good? Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Just across the bridge from Philadelphia. Correct. All right. What can we do for Frank in the Garden State? Well, I, just before Thanksgiving, uh, bought and set up a worm bin. Mm -hmm. And there was plenty of information online about how you got the worm bin started. And there was information also about what the end product would look like. But going from A to Z, I really couldn't find a lot about how you deal with the day-to-day stuff. And I've been doing it now for about seven weeks. And as I look at uh, the bin, when I go in there and dig around, things just aren't looking like the end product. So I'm wondering if I'm doing something wrong and had a number of questions about the process once you get started. Okay. Do you have a worm bin that has multiple levels, trays that stack on top of each other, or are you like using a Rubbermaid bin or something? Uh, multiple trays. Oh, okay. Um that should work just fine. How many trays do you have? Two. Oh, is that all it came with? Yes, there's a, a collection, a, you know, a liquid collection bin below. Yes, yeah, so I understand that. Yeah, the worm tea. Right. So uh, it should be very simple. Um, I have the same uh, device called the worm tower. And what you do is you collect your kitchen waste, um, not cooked food, not leftovers, but... Uh, raw waste, like the broccoli cores and the apple cores and the browned out lettuce leaves and stuff like that, and coffee filters, coffee, ground coffee, used coffee, spent coffee in the filters. The worms love that. So you, you hold on to that stuff. You collect it until you got enough to cover the tray. And then you simply shred up black and white newspaper until you cover all the kitchen waste in there. Now, presumably, at some point during this process, you got worms to introduce into the bin. So you get your worms in there, and then your goal is to make this nice and moist. They need a moist environment. So you get some clean water, preferably not city tap water, and you pour it gently over top of the shredded newspaper. And it's going to come out the bottom where they got the spigot for collecting the worm tea. And when it does come out the bottom, just keep re-pouring that worm tea over top of the shredded newspaper until you think you've got things at stasis. You don't want it to be too sloppy. You don't want it to be too wet. 
but you never want to let it dry out. Then when you've collected uh, enough, enough garbage, enough waste, after that, you put the second tray on top, layer the bottom of that with garbage, and then shred up more black and white newspaper, put that on top and moisten it up. Now, I've got four trays on mine. So the nice advantage to having the extra trays is by the time I'm on my last tray filled with garbage, the first tray down on the bottom is done. It's completely worm castings. Well, that's, that's really one of the questions I had is how long does it take to go from garbage? Because what I did was I, put, I did a little slightly differently than you did, but same idea. Shredded newspaper and some shredded cardboard as a base, put the worms in there and then the garbage on top, and then shredded newspaper, some shredded leaves and, and uh, on top of that. Oh, okay. So you have something blocking the entry to no. the tray. Oh, no. The worms are getting up and down through it. Cause oh, okay. It's, it's, okay. Because they're, they're down in that collection tray. There's a, um, And that's one of the things that really started making me question it. Well, yeah, they escape sometimes. They get down into the into the tray. But all you do is you pick a nice day where you can take it outside and then you pour them back into one of the layers. Oh, yeah. But it, but the, on the the screen above the uh, liquid collection area, yes. the screen above it, there's it looks like castings there, but they are sopping wet. And yeah, yeah, because that. they're getting the most moisture. Um, when you are done, when you have a tray that's completely finished, you have a couple of options. You can take that tray and you can dump it into a working compost pile to really accelerate the compost and supercharge it. Or you can leave it sit out in a cool, dry area, maybe even underneath a ceiling fan with a bunch of newspaper underneath it, and then slowly dry the castings out. And then they'll look like the stuff in the, in the little bags at the garden centers that say worm castings. Okay, so the fact that everything's looking very wet in there now is not bad as long as the worms are moving around and, and being active. If, you're, if you are getting too much worm tea out of the bottom, it would be good if you could pour that, if you have an outdoor compost pile poured in that. Um, is, how, how is it smelling? How is it doing? Oh, it, the, the worm tea is very ripe. Is it supposed to be? It is when you first put the fresh garbage in, yes. Okay. Um, yeah, well, it is. Okay. Well, if it's too ripe to use indoors, uh, I just store it someplace and then use it on outdoor plants or, again, pour it into a compost pile. But that's a sign that you're over-moistening. And get that, no more cardboard in there. That's totally unnecessary. I know sometimes the instructions give you the 18 things. You're supposed to give them grit and all this kind of stuff. Right. Um, Garbage, shredded newspaper, water, that's all my worms get. I've been doing this for about 12 years now. I get better at it every year. These, these creatures are really the best way to get rid of your, reprocess your kitchen waste. And um, you will find that they work faster in the summertime than they do in the winter. Okay, so about how long is it that it takes for to go from fresh garbage to finished product? Uh, eyes, eyes and ears uh, or nose. You'll see, you'll see. Uh, but two, to me, two trays is not enough to keep going. Uh, with, with my system, typically by the time I put the fourth tray on top, the bottom tray is completely finished. 
Okay. So fill it up and then just put another tray on top and just let it go. Correct. All the new trays always go on the top because the worms like to climb up. Okay. Well, All right, man. Helpful. Very good. Yeah, and be patient. You're on, you've only been doing this a little while. You will get good at it. It's super easy. And these worm castings are dynamite for your plants. Thank you so much. All right. Good luck, sir. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, cats and kittens, it is time for the question of the week, which we're calling, where should you leave your leaves? Teresa in Stillwater, Oklahoma writes, I know you love fall leaves, so do I. However, I'd like to suggest that you update your information on leaves. Leaves left alone provide habitat and food for creatures that nourish birds, butterflies, lightning bugs, and numerous other species not to mention nourishing the earth itself. Now, these species are already under stress from changes in the climate, which may even cause some to die off. So we really need to be cognizant of and respectful towards these wee ones. Thank you for your consideration. P.S. I collect leaves from neighborhoods where people don't understand this concept. The leaves are pre-bagged, so they're not difficult to collect. I just have to pull the odd bit of trash out of them. Well, Teresa raises a couple of really good points, so let's review my philosophy on leaves with the caveat that not everyone can do exactly as I do. That's because my house is surrounded by trees, and most of the land around us is heavily wooded with a stream running through it. So I can have my leaves and... and well, not eat them, too. That would be too weird even for me. But thanks to my landscape, I can leave some and harvest the rest. If you could see the view from my office window, where I saw two beautiful fox playing like puppies in the woods last week, you'd see that the area to the left of the house, on the other side of our stream, and beyond the fenced-in backyard, fenced in to try and contain the Great Pyrenees we rescue, is covered several inches deep in years' worth of leaves. I have never harvested leaves from these wild areas with the same intentions as Teresa, to leave wild areas wild, somewhat for the benefit of any creatures that prefer these kind of leafy habitats, but mostly for the health of the trees that derive nutrition from those leaves when they eventually break down but I do try and suck up every leaf that falls around the house and garden for several reasons. The first is common sense. As everyone who has driven on a wet leaf-covered road knows all too well, whole wet leaves defy the very concept of traction. Winter in the north is treacherous enough for slip and fall risk. Leaving my patio covered with wet leaves would probably cancel my insurance policy if not cancel me personally. And leaving whole leaves on my garden beds would smother the soil, encourage mold, possibly kill my fall-planted garlic, and prevent many of my spring bulbs from emerging properly, especially the early-blooming minor bulbs, like glory of snow and snowdrops that can come up in January. That last part is especially important 
in winters when snow hits early and stays late, I sometimes miss the window to suck up and shred the leaves over top of where my spring bulbs are sleeping. And the result is always a disaster, a frantic effort to rescue the emerging plants from this frozen tarp of death that only results in my raking up more bulbs than leaves. Now, my back went out this fall, it's much better now, thank you, in the middle of my shredding. And I know that some spring bulb locations are still covered by matted down wet and or frozen leaves. So that's number one on my to-do list, to try and free those bulbs up on the next nice day before the early ones start to emerge. Now, some of those shredded leaves will go into my compost piles. Some will be saved in giant trash cans for garden mulching in the spring. And many will be dumped right back down where they were after being shredded. Whereby whole leaves mat down and smother the soil, shredded leaves allow air and water through. And plants like spring bulbs, garlic, peonies, and hosta that might otherwise be smothered by whole leaves easily push through the light, loose mulch of shredded leaves. Okay, okay, hostas could probably push through sheet metal. Just wanted to see if you were paying attention out there. Same procedure with my garden beds. I suck up the whole leaves and then empty the collection bag of shredded leaves right back on top of the beds to prevent weeds, erosion, and having to carry the bag back to my compost piles. Lawns. It is critical to get every whole leaf off of your lawn. Early in the season, it's fine to use your lawnmower to mulch the leaves back into the grass, but do not attempt this if the ground is frozen. Mowing frozen grass will rip the grass to shreds. It's much better at this point to suck the leaves up with a leaf blower set on reverse and then empty the bag into your compost piles or, again, save them for garden mulch next spring. And finally, we get to trash picking, or as I like to call it, rescuing SPBs. Back when I was younger, I would troll the streets of nearby Emmaus looking for SPBs put out at the curb. If they were filled with leaves alone, I would store them in their bags for shredding in the spring. But if they were a combination of leaves and grass clippings, I would just dump them in the woods. Never trust clippings from an unknown lawn. If that lawn was treated with commercial herbicides, the clippings and any compost made from them could be deadly to non-grass plants. Well, that sure was an interesting and somewhat philosophical look at leaves now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, you can read this information over at your leisure or your leisure because the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be YouBetYourGarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden Question of the Week, and you will always find the latest question of the week where? At the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to take a cudgel to my compost if I don't get out of this studio. What the heck does that even mean? Oh, but we must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email, your tired, your poor, your wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please, please, please include your location. 
You'll find all of our contact information plus answers to hundreds of your garden questions. Audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows and links to our internationally renowned podcast. It's all at YouBetYourGarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show, and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Television and Radio in association with Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when a hot air balloon escaped from the Iowa State Fair. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airwaves is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is always cheerful, Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Northley. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Tavia Minnick. Our new website wonder is the lovely Nicole Harrell. Our audio editor is the lovely Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is Judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director is Javier Diaz. Carlin is running the camera this week. Zach Detakwisneski is running around here somewhere. Our beloved and beleaguered CEO, Tim Fallon, who is not our executive producer, is late for a meeting, and he's dodging reporters about his new career as a Middle Eastern belly dancer. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, reminding you that in the words of Jimmy Kimmel, your grandparents are exactly the same as your gym. You'll visit them both twice a year. But I'll see you again next week. Hey, boy. Hey, boy. Where's the ball? Where's the ball? Ready? Go get it, boy. That's a good boy. Drop it. Drop it. Good boy. Good boy. Loyal partners. Throughout life, you have many different partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life? Your health. Lehigh Valley Health Network. Your health deserves a partner. Learn more at LVHN.org. Well, the holidays are over and the crew and I are just staggering out of our long winter's nap. So we have no idea what we'll do next week. I'm Mike McGrath and all we can say is that we will have fun, I will get into trouble, and we'll all still be writing 2019 on our checks. That's on the next You Bet Your Garden.